0: Good morning, my name is Scott Gilliland. I'm one of the associate pastors here at Lover's Lane. It's my joy to be with you this morning as we uh, finish up our sermon series that we started several weeks ago called Unmentionables. If this is your first week joining us or if you're joining us for the first time online, um, I wanna say thank you for coming and trusting us with your worship this morning. Uh, and and we are so glad that you're with us. If you wanna stop by our Welcome Center after worship today, uh, we'd love for you to learn a little bit more about who we are. If you're online, check out our website and see what we believe, what we believe, what we're about at Lover's Lane. Um, this sermon series has been really, really powerful uh, for me personally, Uh, You know a sermon series is good when it does as much work on the preacher um, as the preacher hopes that it does for the congregation. Um, Every single message, whether I've been preaching or not, especially Reagan's message last week, um, really, really um, touched my heart in a way uh, that I didn't know I needed. I didn't know I needed these messages this summer. And I hope that you've had a similar experience Uh, And if you've missed any of them. And I, I encourage you to go back and listen Because these are really, really uh, powerful topics, difficult topics, things that we don't talk about all the time. Uh, Whether we're in the church or outside the church, these are things that we shove way deep down inside of us and pretend like we're the only ones going through them. And if we are just able to open up and talk about it, there's an immense amount of freedom and peace and power that comes from that. So that's what we've been doing for the last several weeks here. And we conclude today on the subject of fear. Today we're going to talk about fear, and the question I want us to wrestle with this morning is, is not so much the idea of fear in sort of like a general societal sense, not like a cultural fear, but I want to take this into a personal place because that's what this series has been about. It's, about been, it's been about, you know, on the deep personal level. So the question I want us to wrestle with this morning is how do we conquer deep personal fears? The fears that are way deep down inside that you almost are afraid to speak out loud, Um, The fears that keep you up at night about your life, about the lives of those whom you love, um, the fears that can feel crippling. What do we do about those kind of fears? How do we approach them? How do we uh, wrestle with them? And hopefully, how do we overcome them? And to guide us in this discussion today, I want us to look at a story that I'm sure a lot of us are familiar with. I would guess that everybody in the room is familiar with it in just sort of a a cultural sense. It's the story of David and Goliath. We're going to go back to Sunday school for a little bit. Uh, this is found in the book of 1 Samuel. And when we study, just so you know, if you really like the part where David conquers Goliath with the sling, we're not going to read that part today. I'm so sorry. We're going to get right up to that point, but we're going to stop right before that because it's everything that happens before David throws that rock at Goliath's forehead. Everything that happens before is really important, I think, to our discussion of fear today and how do we overcome, how do we conquer deep personal fears. David seems to have something of a secret up his sleeve that I think we need to tap into, but I also think we need to understand who Goliath is. I think Goliath is a great metaphor for fear, and I'll explain why in just a second. Before we read our scripture, let's say a word of prayer. Uh, We pray before reading scripture because we believe that it is a living text, that it is not just words on a page, but it is uh, the words of God conveyed through uh, God's people, and that when we pray and ask God to be a part of this moment, that these scriptures can come alive for us today. So let's pray together. Gracious God. We give you thanks for this day. We give you thanks for the rain that we've needed so desperately here, and God, we pray for rain in parts of this country that need it even more desperately than we do. God, we appreciate rain because it restores us. It gives life to the earth. It gives a sense of wholeness uh, to your creation, and so, God, this morning we ask, we also ask that you would rain upon us and upon our hearts and our souls and our minds through your words found in 1 Samuel. Take this story of David and Goliath, a story that we probably think we know, and God, would you just open it up again for us? Make it a new story for us today. Let us walk out of here with something in this story that we didn't have before, some way that we can celebrate this story of your servant David and what appears to be an impossible task of conquering Goliath. God, let these words change the way that we live. In your sons, let We pray. Amen. Okay, so let's read. This is beginning of 1 Samuel chapter 17, verses 1 through 11, and I'm reading from the Common English Bible that we'll see on the screens. It says, The Philistines assembled their troops for war at Soko of Judah. They camped between Soko and Azekah at Ephesdamim. Yeah, I'm a professional. Don't try that on your own. Uh, Saul and the Israelite army assembled and camped in the Elah Valley, where they organized to fight the Philistines. The Philistines took on one hill while Israel took positions on the opposite hill. There was a valley between them. So one side Philistines, one side Israelites, valley in between. A champion named Goliath from Gath came out. Isn't that like a great WWE? Hey there, brother, I'm Goliath from Gath. So Goliath from Gath comes down out of the Philistine camp. He was more than nine feet tall. He had... A bronze helmet on his head and wore bronze scale armor weighing 125 pounds. He had bronze plates on his shins and a bronze scimitar hung on his back. His spear shaft was as strong as the bar on a weaver's loom, so it was like really massive, and his iron head weighed 15 pounds. His shield bearer walked in front of him. That's a fun job. He stopped and shouted to the Israelite troops, "'Why have you come and taken up battle uh, formations? I am the Philistine champion, and you are Saul's servants.'" Isn't that right? Select one of your men and let him come down against me. If he is able to fight me and kill me, then we will become your slaves. But if I overcome him and kill him, then you will become our slaves and you will serve us. I insult Israel's troops today. Cool insult, bro. You literally just said you insult them. That's super lame, but whatever. I insult Israel's troops today. The Philistine continued, give me an opponent and we'll fight. When Saul and all Israel heard what the Philistine said, they were distressed and terrified. The word of God for the people of God, let us say thanks be to God. We're going to stop there right now. This is the introduction to who Goliath is, Uh, and I want to unpack a few things in here that I think are really important for how we understand fear, because I think Goliath, like I said, is a really great metaphor for understanding fear in our own lives, that deep, large Goliath-sized personal fears that we have somewhere way down inside of us, and it's the way that Goliath is introduced to us that I think is interesting. First thing I notice is this fear hopes that you don't look closer. Fear hopes that you don't look closer. What do I mean by that? Well, when it introduces Goliath to us, think about what the scripture says. It says that he's nine feet tall. And does it tell us anything else about Goliath, the person? Now, it tells us that he's got this bronze armor that weighs 125 pounds. He's got a bronze scimitar and bronze things on his shins. And uh, he's got this, you know, big old spear that's this big around. And he's got all this stuff that he's decked out in. And it's all bronze, so it's going to be shining in the sun as he's walking down. But all it says about Goliath himself, did you notice the only thing it says about Goliath himself is that he's nine feet tall. That's it. it. doesn't say, and Goliath had big, ripped, super sweet muscles for days. No, it doesn't say that. It doesn't say, he leapt 18 feet through the air to come into the valley between. No, it doesn't say that. It says, Goliath is 19, nine feet tall. Oh, but look at all the stuff that he has on him. Isn't that scary looking? Fear really hopes that you don't look closer. There's this really interesting uh, TED talk by a man named Malcolm Gladwell, who's author of a lot of different books. Um, Really smart guy, interesting guy, has a great podcast called Revisionist History, and Malcolm Gladwell uh, looks at this story and he unpacks, he he sort of looks closer at who Goliath is, and uh, he he looks at, at why Goliath could have possibly been nine feet tall, as it says in this translation. And Malcolm Gladwell's theory, and it's just, that's what it is, it's a theory. We don't know this, and there's plenty of scholars that would debate this. But his theory is that Goliath may have actually been suffering from a condition called acromegaly. Acromegaly is a I may be pronouncing that wrong, so forgive me if you're a, like an expert on acromegaly in the room. Um, it, it's a—it's a disorder of the pituitary gland where it overfunctions. It's a—it it's, overproduces this growth hormone, and people grow to be really, really, really tall when they um, suffer, and that's the right word to use—suffer from this condition because it also has a ton of health complications where your vision is usually very blurry, if not even blind. Your joints ache and hurt all of the time because you're just getting too big for what your body can actually sustain, so big that you might even be, who knows, nine feet tall. And Malcolm Gladwell's point is we always picture Goliath as this like massive, ripped, muscly, super athletic kind of champion, but what if he was this giant that was in constant pain and couldn't see straight and was decked out in all of this really heavy armor, and, and, and on the inside, though, was this man who was in constant torment and was actually physically quite incapable of anything other than standing there and looking imposing i think that sometimes our deepest fears that we have inside are actually kind of like goliath they're really flashy they catch our attention they've got they're decked out in all this stuff and so from a distance it looks really imposing and really terrifying and you think how could i ever face that but as you get closer and you take a closer look at it is it actually not as big and scary as, as we think it is. Sometimes I think these fears that I've got inside me, I, I make them out to be this really massive, imposing Goliath-sized figure, and on the inside, they're actually really weak. And, and they would fall over in a heartbeat if I would just stand up to them. And I think Goliath is a good reminder of that. Second thing I know from, from Goliath's story, fear, fear's greatest weapon is humiliation. I insult Israel. Cool, 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 cool. Really, really sweet insult, Goliath. I insult you. Next time you're in a fight with someone, just say, I insult you, and just leave it at that. You know, that's that's a good burn, sick burn. Um... But Goliath walks down, and he just starts teasing Israel. And he's like, is no one going to attack me? Later on, we won't read this part in the Scripture, but when, when David finally confronts Goliath, again, he goes to humiliation. He says, am I a dog that you would come at me with sticks? You know, he always goes to this point of trying to humiliate. It's his first and only weapon. We actually never see Goliath use a weapon in the story of David and Goliath. He's got weapons. He's got this big scim- scimitar. He's got this big spear But we never actually see him wield any of them. He never uses any. The only weapon he ever wields is teasing and humiliation and taunting. Fear's greatest weapon is humiliation. Think about the fears that you've wrestled with in your own life. What do they use to break you down? Every time it hits you at that spot that makes you feel the smallest and the least capable and the most insignificant, when I think back and I look at the fears that I've had to face in my life, so many times, they didn't have anything of substance to hit me with, but what it did is it made me feel humiliated, it made me feel small, it made me feel like nothing, kind of like a giant shouting in an army going, I insult you. Fear's greatest weapon is humiliation. They attack us in that spot that makes us feel the most vulnerable, and what that means is it, is it leads to this, this third thing that I know about fear. And that's that fear loves to win by forfeit. Fear loves to win by forfeit. What do I mean by that? So in the David and Goliath story, um, Goliath will taunt them and taunt them and taunt them. And when he comes down, this is actually a common practice in, in ancient wartime, where they would have these sort of trial-by-combat champion fights to see. It was a way of sparing uh, the army, so you wouldn't have all these mass casualties. You'd say, you send your best fighter, we'll send our best fighter. Whichever fighter wins, we'll, we'll count that as the army's victory, right? So this is a common practice, fairly common for the time. And, uh, and Goliath, and I think the Philistines' whole game plan is that Goliath goes down there and looks as scary and massive and frightening as possible. And their whole strategy is that no one will stand up to him. He goes down there and he starts taunting them. He starts humiliating them, saying, I know you won't even fight me. You guys are such cowards, which, of course, terrifies them even more because he's so confident. But I think that they're banking on the fact that no one will ever fight him. Goliath keeps going down there. We're going to skip this part in the reading because the chapter is really long. But he he goes down there for 40 days, it says, which, of course, is sort of a, a Bible number that just means a long time. But Goliath goes down there day after day for a long time and does the same challenge, issues the same taunts, and every time nobody stands up to him. And I think the Philistines are counting on this. I think the Philistines are hoping and praying that nobody stands up to Goliath, and that they'll just win by forfeit. And isn't that true for the fears in our lives as well? Isn't it true that, that those deep-seated fears, those Goliath-sized fears, they're so frightening and they're so scary that we keep them at arm's length or we even run away because we think, how could, we, how could I ever stand up to that? And they beat us, not because they're stronger than we are, but because we forfeit before the battle's even begun. I've done this so many times in my life where I just give in to a fear. I, I, I let it win the day because I just think, I can't fight that. I can't fight that even if I want to. When that's a lie, it's not true. But I let it win through forfeit. I let it win without even having to battle me. I just say, yeah, I throw in the towel. I say, yeah, it's too big. It's too scary. It's too much. It's, it's Goliath. Who's going to fight Goliath? Who is crazy enough to take that on? David is. <laughs> David's crazy. David's actually super crazy. When you read, like, his origin story, like, David's nuts. Uh, And we're going to hear a little bit about how David is nuts right now. Um, But to understand, if, if this is your first day in church, your first time... In like the Christian faith, I want to assume that you know nothing. So David ends up becoming like King David, like this really important figure in Israel. Uh, he ends up becoming the most celebrated uh, person in Israel's history. In fact, uh, Jesus has to be a descendant of David. That's how important David is to the Jewish identity. Uh, and ever since David leaves, like when he dies, they just want David back. Like that's it's like it's like you know the good old days syndrome. David is Israel's good old days syndrome and there's people in Israel today that still are waiting for the Lion of Judah David to, to return for that glory to come back um, and this is his humble beginning uh, it, his his staring down of Goliath so let's begin in 1 Samuel 17 31 through 32 and I'm gonna we're gonna we're gonna read a couple verses and then stop a couple verses and stop about David here's 31 and 32 on your screens The things David had said were overheard and reported to Saul, who sent for him. So David has just told the other guys that are standing around, like, "Is nobody going to fight this guy? None of you going to fight him? What, what happens if someone beats him? If, it, if someone defeats him, what's going to happen?" They're like, "Oh, that 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 guy's going to get so much cool stuff if you beat him." And he's like, "Really? For real?" And so then everyone's like, hey, David's talking about like you might want to fight Goliath. And so uh, Saul, the king at the time, overhears this, the king of the Israelites, he overhears this. Um, he sent for him, and he said, don't let anyone lose courage because of this Philistine, David told Saul. I, your servant, will go out and fight him. So let's stop here for a second. Um, first of all, I just love David's confidence. I just love that David is like, I'll fight him. Heck yeah, I'll fight him. I mean, at the time, he's like 15, 16. His job is to, like, watch the sheep. Like, his life's not super exciting. He's got a bunch of older brothers. Like, he's not necessarily going to amount to a whole lot. He's like, he probably sees this as, like, hey, this is my chance. i might get a girlfriend out of this. This is awesome. I'm going to go fight this guy. Um, But there's something really interesting to me about his just immediate response of, like, yeah, I'll fight him. Why are you guys so scared? Why are you so scared of this guy? Someone needs to fight him. We can't just stand around and forfeit this, this battle all day long, every day for 40 days. Someone's got to go fight him. And, and it reminds me of this really simple, basic truth, but this series has been about really simple, core, basic truths that we got to come back to. And, and, and I, heard this, I heard this when I was reflecting on this scripture. This is a word that, that I, I felt like God was giving to me this week, just in, in David's attitude. And it's this, you are not meant to live in fear. I think David gets this. Like why are we afraid? Why are we tucking our tail between our legs and running away from this guy? Is this who we are? Are, we, are We're scaredy cats, we're cowards. We're just going to let him win without even trying. No one's going to fight him. I'll fight him. Yeah, I'll fight him. Sure. I think even if the rewards are off the table, David, there's just something in him that just says, "I'm not going to live my life afraid. You know, forget that. I'm not going to do that my whole life long. That's going to get old. That's going to get tired. If we, if, I, if we forfeit this battle, what are we going to do next down the road? I mean, that, that's not any way to live life. And, and there are so many times that I, I convince myself that I'm supposed to live my life afraid. That there are fears that are just too big to be conquered. There are fears that are just too imposing, that are just too big to take on. And, and the, the worst part about it is that over time I convince myself that's the way it's supposed to be. I'm supposed to be afraid of something. I'm supposed to have these deep-seated fears in my heart. I just get comfortable with them. Anyone get comfortable with them? You ever get comfortable with your fears in a weird way? You just let them cozy in, on in there. They get to set up shop. They, they're starting to arrange furniture inside your soul. You know, They're getting real cozy. And I need to hear so many times in my life, I need to hear God say to me, Scott, you are not meant to live your life afraid. That is not the way you're supposed to live. When we read through Scripture, if you were to read cover to cover, you would hear so many times the voice of God or a messenger of God. The first thing they say to someone when they approach them, the very first thing, what do they say? For those of us who who sort of know, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. That's the first words out of God's mouth or out of the messenger's mouth so many times in Scripture. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. We are not meant to live this life afraid. And yet so often we get so comfortable with our fears that we let them set up shop and we just think that's the way it's supposed to be. And that's not the way it's supposed to be. And so if if you get nothing out of this sermon today, if this is sort of where you stop and your brain starts going off on a rabbit trail, that's okay. But I just want you to hear clearly from somebody. And I hope that you hear clearly from God. Your life is not supposed to be controlled by fear. That's not the way you were created to live. And I hope that you can trust in that. I hope that you can take that seriously. And I hope that you can talk to God about that this week and say, okay, if this is not how I'm supposed to live, then how do I overcome this? David knows this. So we keep reading in verse 33. We keep reading this. Saul says to David, you can't go out and fight this Philistine. Saul answered David. You're still a boy. So he's like, we think maybe like 15, 16. It's a guess. We don't have his age, but we have an idea. He's he's like a 14, 15, 16-year-old. You're still a boy, but he's been a warrior since he was a boy. So Goliath's got a reputation. Your servant has kept his father's sheep, David replied to Saul. You're like, cool, David. You watch sheep. What does that have to do with the matter at hand, right? David replied to Saul, and if ever a lion or a bear came and carried off one of the flock... I would go after it and strike it and rescue the animal from, let's be clear, the bear or lion's mouth. If it turned on me, I would grab at its jaw, strike it, and kill it. David is insane. Your servant has fought both lions and bears. This uncircumcised Philistine, so he can throw the insults back at, at Goliath. This uncircumcised Philistine, don't use that if you're in an argument with your friend, by the way. Oh, you uncircumcised Philistine? Be, yeah, that'll be the end of that relationship, um, just because you're weird. Um, will be just like one of them because he has insulted the army of the living God. Okay, let's break this down for a second. So David, yeah, I mean, he's a, he's a shepherd, essentially. He watches his family's sheep. But what he does here is, I I love what he does. He says, yeah, I mean, I watch sheep, but I have fought lions and bears. The kid is like 14, 15, 16 years old. I have fought lions and bears. And you know what you're thinking like, oh, Scott, is that a weird translation? No, it means lions and bears. And there are bears, and back then there were lions that lived in the area. David straight up killed lions and bears as a teenager. Yesterday, I went and picked up a mac and cheese casserole dish, and I pulled a muscle in my back. That's the state of this thing, right? That's what this has got going. On David's killing lions and bears, right? So this is not just some run-of-the-mill kid. Like he's clearly got some talent. He's given his resume. And it reminds me of this. When we're facing down our fears, we've got to remember and name the lions in our past. Name the lions in your past. What do I mean by that? I mean that you didn't get here by mistake. You haven't survived this much in your life by accident. I guarantee you if you took an inventory of your life, there are lions and bears that you have pulled sheep from their jaws, that you have conquered, that you have bested. There are, there are moments in your life when, when God showed up, or maybe you showed up for yourself. There was a confidence that came up in you, and you overcame a fear that you thought was impossible. And I think it's so important when we get to these Goliath-sized fears in our life, when we start to wrestle with them, to go back and name the lions and bears. Part of why David can walk in confidently in Goli- into Goliath is because he's pulled sheep out of lions' mouths. He's killed bears and lions before. So yeah, Goliath is big and scary, but he's kind of been there before. And you have too, whether you know it in the moment or not. All of us have lions and bears in our past. These these things that at the time, they felt impossible. They felt like we would never overcome them. We felt like it would be the end of us. And yet here we are today. Here we are today. We are still standing. We are here today. So name the lions and bears in your past. And see if you don't enter into this conflict, this battle, a little bit more confident than you were before. Because you go, you know what? I have been here before. It's not been this exact same thing, and, and maybe before it was lions and bears, and now it feels like Goliath. Maybe it feels like it's ratcheting up, but I, I've kind of been here before, and, and, and I made it through that, and I'm still here in one piece, and so maybe I can make it through this as well. See if that doesn't give you a little bit of David-style confidence. Now, we all wish we had the confidence of a 15-year-old boy, right? Right? All of us wish we had that. I'm going to live forever. I'll go, I'll go fight Goliath. Like, that's such a 15-year-old boy thing to do, right? But I think sometimes it's important to get that brand of confidence inside of us to where we feel like we could conquer the world if we were just given the time, right? Name the lions and the bears in your past. So we get to this last verse. We're, this is the last verse we're going to read this morning. Because David knows that it's not just him who conquered those lions and bears. He says this, The Lord, David added, the Lord who rescued me from the power of both lions and bears will rescue me from the power of this Philistine. Go, Saul replied to David, and may the Lord be with you. So this is the last verse we're going to read this morning. And when I was reading this story this week and preparing for this message on fear, I was really struck by this last verse. I was really struck by, it. in the verses before, David saying, you know, I've conquered lions, I've conquered bears, I've killed them both. You know, And here he kind of amends that statement. He says, well, it wasn't really me. I know that it wasn't really me. In fact, it, it's God, it's the Lord who delivered me. I got myself, I probably shouldn't have run after a lion. You know, let me tell you, David, if a lion chases my sheep off, like, I'm sorry, sheep, I love you, bye, you know. Guess your dinner, you know. David's got a little bit of that foolish, you know, courage in him. He runs after and he says, God delivered me from those situations. And I know that God's going to deliver me from this one. I think what's so powerful about how David faces down fear is that he understands that his weapon is not a sling, it is God's presence. When David goes and fights Goliath in a few more verses, yeah, he's going to use this sling and he's got five stones and he's going to sling one of them on his forehead and he's going to go crashing down. But David makes clear that that is not how he's going to take down Goliath. The sling is just a tool, it's a means to an end, it could be anything. He could have gone to Goliath and shouted at it like the walls of Jericho and he would have come crumbling down. Because David knows that his weapon, his, his X factor, his secret weapon is not a sling with stones. It is the very presence of God. And this, this verse really, it kind of stopped me in my tracks this week when I was reading because I hadn't ever really considered that. I, when I, I always remember the David and Goliath story kind of from Sunday school and how cool it was that David used this little sling and, and he threw this stone at Goliath and it hit him right there. And, and you know, I used to get all into the, the science. You know, Malcolm Gladwell and his talk that he gave on this, he talks about how, you know, well, sling throwers were actually very talented back then and they could throw a, string, you know, a, a stone 200 meters. So it's, it's really not outside the possibility that David could have, that, none of that matters, I don't think anymore. I mean, it's interesting If we want to go back and study ancient slingers and we want to study, you know, where in the head does the stone have to hit to, you know, give them an aneurysm or whatever. Like, that's interesting, sure. But none of it really matters at the end of the day. Because the weapon wasn't the sling. The weapon that David carried with him into battle was the presence of God. And why did I need to hear that this week? And why did I think that we need to hear that this week? Because so many times I think that I'm alone. Do you ever believe that? Do you ever let that lie creep in, that you're in this alone? That there's nobody in this with you, that there's nobody in this with you? And I'll tell you, Goliath looks a lot bigger when you're facing him alone. I think if David faced Goliath alone, he wouldn't have been King David. He would have been that poor dead kid, David. That's how that would have gone. But he wasn't alone. And I, I know that God reminded me this week that I, I'm not alone and you're not alone because we believe in a God that doesn't stay in the clouds and we believe in a God that doesn't stay away from unmentionables. We believe in a God who doesn't stay away from our fears or stay away from our shame or stay away from our guilt or stay away from our doubt or stay away from our grief or stay away from our regrets. We have a God that goes right into them God that says, that is where I want to set up shop. That is where I want to call my home. That is where I need to be. I need to be right there in those moments of battle, in those moments where you feel like you won't make it through this alone. And guess what? You're right. You won't. And that's why I'm going to be with you. And so when you face down your fears, sure, pick up a sling if you want, if that makes you feel better. Pick up a sword. Pick up a scimitar. Pick up a spear where the rod's as big as a weaver's pole. I don't know what that means, really. I haven't done much weaving in my life. If those things make you feel better, great. If you feel like you need those things, if you need armor. But see, David, he goes in without armor. And he goes in without a sword. He goes in with a little strap of leather and five stones because he knows it's not about that. It's about the presence of God That will be with him in that battle. And that's one thing Goliath doesn't have. Goliath is infinitely weak because God's presence is not with him. And, church, if you need to hear one thing this morning, hear that your fears are infinitely weak because the presence of God is not in your fears. The presence of God is in your hope. The presence of God is in the spirit of courage and the spirit of boldness that says, I've stared down lions and bears, and you know what? It wasn't even me, but God delivered me out of those moments. Do that inventory and tell me that God wasn't a part of that. Tell me that you don't see God in those moments when, when you, your head was in the lion's jaws and somehow it made its way out. And so we look at Goliath and we say, yeah, he's shiny. Yeah, he's nine feet tall. Yeah, he scares a lot of people. And yeah, he even scares me a little bit. But Goliath has, does not have one thing that I've got. I've got God on my side. I've got God by my side. I've got God within me, throughout me, all around me. And I've made it this far, and I can make it through Goliath too. It's amazing how small Goliath begins to look when you realize you've got the God of the universe by your side. So what does this look like in real life? For me, it's been the past year, uh, about a year ago. Um, I sought out some medical help because I was going through a major depressive episode. Reagan and I have tried to be really good about talking about mental health, in this series especially. Um, When I went to Perkins School of Theology, I took a class on pastoral care and mental health skills, which was really awesome. Taught us how to recognize mental health issues, uh, both in ourselves or in other people, in our congregation, and people that come through our doors off the streets, whomever. Um, And about a year ago, I realized with the help of... uh, Reagan, who is awesome uh, that that major depressive episode that I learned about in that class was starting to sound a lot more like me, and so I went in and I talked to a, a doctor who I'd met as part of my Perkins internship, so shout out to Perkins School of Theology for handling mental health really, really well. I met a doctor through Perkins internship, went in and talked to her and started what has become sort of a year long journey through this and uh, and so just coming to terms with the fact that. Um, Depression is something I've battled off and on since I was about eighth grade, but I'd never gotten to the point where it felt like Goliath, and last July it felt like Goliath. And I'm so thankful that I wasn't alone, because if I had been alone in all of that, and if I hadn't sought help and I hadn't had Reagan and I hadn't had God and I hadn't had friends, I didn't have a community where I could talk about it, then I don't know how that battle would have gone, but I do know how it has gone. And so about a month ago, I... Uh, or a couple weeks ago, I, I stopped taking sertraline, so any other sertraline buddies, we can start a club or something. Um, I like to joke that I've got a depressive personality, which makes me really fun at parties. Um, yeah. Scott, how's your weekend been? Well, there's a lot of bloodshed in Bangladesh right now, so. Um, so this this journey for me has been one that has brought me a lot closer to God, uh, because Depression in my life is a lot like Goliath. It's one of those fears that tells me you're not worth it and you're never going to make it and you're not going to amount to much and you're so insignificant. And does anybody really love you? I hope if anybody else has those kind of thoughts in your head, I hope that you'll talk to me or someone that loves you and I hope that that you'll find your way into an office like I did so you can start a journey that reminds you that those things are lies. Because what Goliath loves to do is to humiliate. And this past year has been a journey of me watching Goliath get smaller and smaller and smaller as I have realized more and more that not only do I have God on my side, but I've got a wife on my side, I've got family and friends on my side, I have a whole community of faith that's ready to show me just how small Goliath is. and I have doctors and therapists, and um, it's a much better life today than it was a year ago. And Goliath really does start to look smaller when you remember that you're not alone. So if you hear nothing else from this whole series, I just hope that you can walk out of unmentionables and know that you're allowed to talk about it and that you're not alone. That these things that we think only we're dealing with, everybody in the room is dealing with almost all of the time. And isn't that what the church should be about? Allowing us to have these kind of conversations, allowing us to open ourselves up in ways that feel vulnerable and maybe even a little bit scary. But together, we can come together and remember that we have a God and a community of faith who is with us in these fights. And, church, I'm telling you, when you're like David and you remember you've got somebody other than yourself going into battle, Goliath looks so much smaller. Let us pray. Holy and gracious God. I just want to give you thanks for the word that you placed upon Reagan's heart when she crafted this sermon series. I want to give you thanks for knowing that we needed each other and establishing the church. I want to give you thanks for being a God who values vulnerability and who always shows up for us when we need you the most. For a God who reminds us that when we go up against lions and bears and Goliath, that we're not alone. In fact, our strength comes from the fact that we are not alone. That our fears might seem enormous, gigantic, threatening. But when we remember that you are with us, that it's your spirit that guides us, when we look a little bit closer at those fears and notice that they're not as strong as maybe we thought they were, We can pick up a sling and some stones. We can pick up whatever it is that we need to. We can go into battle because those things don't matter. What matters is that you are with us. And you have not designed us to live a life of fear. You have designed us to live a life that overcomes fear. You have designed us for a life that topples Goliath. You know how this story ends. You know that Goliath doesn't win, not in the end. And so, God, we are so thankful for your ever-presence, your love, your grace, and your mercy that showers us every single day like the cool mist of rain. We are thankful this morning, Lord, in your sons and we pray. Amen.